Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And as we promised, it, well, it took a little bit longer than we hoped for, but we're, we're doing it now. And I don't know when you're listening to this, and probably it's a few days after we're doing it right now, but we're to our series, finally, on revival. And obviously we gave kind of an introduction, an introductory episode on this series on revival, kind of talking about Asbury and what was going on there and maybe some of our thoughts and how we're, you know, we're maybe a bit skeptical. We don't really want to, you know, put out a judgment and we're, we're not really going to talk much about Asbury anymore. I think we, we kind of gave our thoughts. We don't really have any new information. It's really not our place to decide is this a, a true revival or not. I mean, whatever doesn't really matter, actually, for the everyday Christian life. But what we wanted to do, though, was we wanted to use Asbury as a way to just breach and bring up this this ongoing discussion on what what actually is revival. And I think, Dan, you mentioned kind of the phrase in the our introductory episode of this reality that so many Christians today are revival illiterate. Uh, that really there just really ev- isn't even an understanding of what revival is or or that it it's historically been a thing mm-hmm. that that takes place that God does yeah uh, that the that God's covenant people are are revived yeah right uh, and so I mean church history is rich with with the theme mm-hmm. of revival yeah. yeah first great awakening second great awakening um I mean, there's there's revival, and we see revival in the Bible. Uh, but the the issue is, is you know, first off, a lot of people today are just historically illiterate. They don't. Not many people today are students of history. Um, not many Christians are students of history, as as maybe others have been in in the past. So there can just be this illiteracy. Like, what do you mean revival? Like, what what is it? What is this thing? Like, I don't even know what this yeah, is. Sure. So we want to. Yeah, have uh, I don't know a few episodes maybe. Yeah, who knows how many, where we we really just kind of walk through. Yeah, a biblical theology of revival and in a historical theology of revival in a sense. Yeah, yeah. When it was first presented to me, Sam, even when we say that, it's not meant to be a you know like a pejorative or like we've got it figured out. It's more when it was first introduced to me, I realized it's true. I had never you know I heard the word. People use it. There's certain cultures within Christianity that talk a lot about it, but you know the idea of being illiterate, meaning let, let, let's sit down and think it through at least. Let's think it through it biblically. Let's think through it church history. Let's look at some times when it seems like this thing will identify the thing was happened. And at least like as we're having this conversation, maybe this would be helpful to people listening to your podcast, give some kind of... Uh, would you use the word provisional? Some some kind of definition. Like yeah, when yeah. we talk about this is what we mean, yeah. and this is what seems to be times where there was this reality of this. Uh, in fact, I have a number of quotes in front of me, but I, even on that note, I was thinking Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards literally uh, said a quote of Jonathan Edwards, God's major means of e- revival is God's major means of extending his kingdom. You know, 
And then you have to stop. Okay, so what did he mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, what 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 did revival mean? Yeah, to that's him. what I'm saying. So yeah. so the same thing. When I was introduced to this, say thirty whatever I said in the other podcast, I think it was probably thirty years ago, thirty five years ago. That was the term, and I thought it's true. Like I I was intrigued by it, knew about it, but I didn't really know a lot about it. And right. So, so that's what we thought we'd do is spend a few weeks and let's let's do some of this. Let's do a little bit of word study. Let's do a little bit of definition. Let's look biblically. We yep, always yep. want to go to the scriptures. Let's talk about church history. There are some of these times. Let's look at that. Some of that's a little what's called anecdotal. You have to look at it and say, wow, it seems to be what was going on. Right, right. Um, but it helps you give a frame and definition since it seems to be the current talk. Yeah. Since the Asbury thing, you know, what is that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing we I would add to it, just which you mentioned a lot in here, Sam, Sam and I are both part of a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ International USA, where the USA team of yep, yep. AFCI. And uh, it's always had as, as, you know, this vision behind it was revival in the church, evangelism through the church, and training for the church worldwide. Yeah. So there's always been in uh, this ministry going back to starting in 1948, this, this pulse or heartbeat for biblical revival in the church. Yeah. And the, and the natural question is, well, what, it, what does that what, mean? What, what does it what mean? What do we mean revival what is it? in the right. church? <laughs> so, so, so we can get to that. Absolutely. Well, okay, yeah. Let's, uh, we have a little bit of an outline here. We usually don't really roll with an outline, but we have a, re- <laughs> we have a really simple outline that we're going to try to follow. Uh, but if we get on tangents, whatever. Uh, but we're going to start with a little bit of a word study and and – Really, you maybe have heard, maybe somebody has said, well, revival isn't a, isn't a biblical term. You know, it's not, a, it's not a New Testament term, at least. We don't have a Greek word that we would directly translate into English as revival. Um, we can find it in the Latin. But really where we get it from, biblically speaking, is actually a Hebrew word. I'm going to botch the pronunciation. I'm not really good at pronouncing my Hebrew words, but I think it's like chayah. I think is the the verb in the Hebrew, and how would we phonetically? Is that what you say? Phonetically spell it? Yeah, let me think about it. Like a like a ch, like a chach, like uh, you know that okay. kind of like Arabic chach, yep. uh, ah I don't know. I, I don't even. You're just embarrassing me now. <laughs> edit all that. <laughs> no, I don't want to edit that. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's the cool thing about podcasts that aren't videoed is you, you can go back and you can cut things out that just sound stupid and make you look like a fool, but sometimes it's good to keep a few of those in just so okay. people know that we're So I was trying to spell it for people like how we would spell it with our English letters so they kind of had a yeah, sense Yeah, I could pull up saying. a lexicon and see how they do the transliteration, but yeah, whatever. That's what you I get the point. What did I say? I said phonetic, right? But transliteration is the word I meant. Sure. Yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah. the right way. Yeah. Anyway, so we see this verb. I mean, it's a very, very common verb in the Old Testament, and it's translated a number of different ways. Um, it could be translated as to uh, as to be, stay alive, live, be revived, get well, or come back to life again. You know, we see all these these different um, translations depending on context, and so let's we're just going to go through a, a handful of passages that that use this this Hebrew verb. I'm not going to pronounce it anymore because I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, first place that I'm going to go to is 1 Kings 17.22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the boy returned to him, and he revived. So remember 
and Elijah's ministry, um, he was staying with that widow and her son died and Elijah brought him back to life, obviously by the power of God and he revived. So he was alive, he died, he came back to life. Revival. Uh, 2 Kings 13, 21. And as they were burying a man, behold, they saw a martyring ban and they threw the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. So again, a man coming back to life. Next one, <coughs> Judges 15, 19. But God split the hollow place that is in Le- that is in Lehi so that the water came out of it. When he drank his strength and returned, uh, when he drank, his strength returned and he revived. There it is. Therefore, he named it En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. Numbers 21.9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the flagpole. And it came about that if a serpent bit someone and he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So there is that verb again. He lived. Uh, translated that way instead of revive in that passage. Psalm 80 verses 18 and 19, then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will come upon your name and we will call upon your name. Excuse me. Lord God of armies, restore us. There it is again. Make your face shine upon us and we will be saved. Um, We see this verb all over Psalm 119. Uh, So here's verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 149, hear my voice according to your faithfulness. Revive me, Lord, according to your judgments. You get the point. Okay, I don't need to belabor it. So it's, again. Well, revive is a good, right? Revive, we, that's what our English kind of idea is revive. Yeah. Right? Which means re means to do again. Yeah. In vibe means to live. So it yeah. means to live again. Live again. So there's a sense uh, when we talk about revival, and we'll get to, again, as we get to definition and talk about it historically, on the front end, if you want to say it that way, it presupposes there was life there. Exactly. That's the point. And it's bringing life back. Back. Yeah. Reviving something that was already alive. Yes. So that begins to lend itself to where we'll end up probably today with a working definition. Right, right. Primarily the front end of this is this is for God's people. Yeah, right. So what we're distinguishing revival from mass conversion or or conversion of revival from vival. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. But in a sense, right. Yeah. And again, remember, we're working on a working definition that we're trying to come up with. Yes, yes. And so different people may mean different things. Yep. But you always want to clarify that. So, yeah, right. this, this is helpful to think this through. Though. Right, and right. I, I even think about it, too, of like, I think I may may have even said in our our introductory episode that mm. Acts 2 in Pentecost was a type of revival. Yeah. And that gets gray a little bit because right. you're wondering, okay, these are Jews. And they've, they're truly being converted. They're being converted. So maybe we say it's not a revival. This right. is just conversion. Right. Or you could say, well, they're Jews, so they were the covenant people of God, and now... Yeah. But whatever. Right. But what we are trying to kind of pull out from this word study is it, it does have to do with you were you were alive, and you... 
I mean, literally with people who die, you come back to life, whether you're touching well, the, the bone. Well, the word showed up there. Yeah, right? yeah, whether you're touching the bones of Elisha and you come back to life or, yeah. or you, you know, that, that boy who die, dies and Elijah like, lays on him and he comes back to life. Right. Revives. So, so. restore, revive, yep, bring back in. to life, right? Yep. yep. So that's that's kind of the point. Yep. Very good. Well, on our, our little outline here, that means that we are now moving into... Uh, Maybe we could say contemporary definitions, yeah. you know, not like contemporary in that they're like in the last handful of years, but yeah, last 50 years or so last 50 years. Well, even maybe before that too. Yeah. Um, so just definitions that, you know, theologians, biblical thinkers, exegetes, scholars, yep. Yep. Um, Christians that have written a lot on revival. This is, you know, when they do the study of history, when they do the study of the biblical words and the biblical examples, they... You know, they boil it down to a, a working definition, a definition that they use as, yeah. you know, this is what revival is. So we're going to read a handful of them. Yeah. If you want to get after it, Dan. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. You have them too. But um, Yeah, I got them too. So Richard Loveless, writer, um, I think he uh, might have might have been a professor at uh, Gordon-Conwell, I think, maybe. But he wrote a, a great, great work on the spiritual life. And uh, he calls it an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. Mm. Uh, J. Edwin Orr, historian, theologian, a movement of the Holy Spirit bringing about a revival of New Testament Christianity in the Church of Christ and its related community. Mm. J. I. Packer said, Revival I define as a work of God by His Spirit— through his word, bringing the spiritually dead to living faith in Christ and renewing the inner life of Christians who have grown slack and sleepy. In revival, God makes all things new, giving new power and new spiritual awareness to those whose hearts and consciences have been blind, hard, and cold. Hmm. So there he's really emphasizing both the conversion of unbelievers as well as a work amongst believers, Yeah, as you can see there. Um uh, let me drop down. Duncan Campbell had a simple one, which he actually is a, a title of a book written by Brian Edwards, but a community saturated with God. Huh. He just said it's a community saturated with God, and we'll get to that, but it really has to do with this. There's this, if I could just jump in there now, this sense of God's manifest presence amongst his people. Hmm. So if I could just theologically go there a little bit with you, there's there's this sense when we think of the presence of God, of course, there's the... Um, essential presence, meaning his omnipresence. God is always present. Yeah, yeah. You can't get away from the presence of God. So that's, you would call the omnipresence of God, the essential presence of God. It's essential to his character. But then you have another uh, type of uh, presence called the cultivated presence of God. Mm. And that would be, um, well, let me step back from uh, omnipresent. Let me go to another one. There would be this presence of God when uh, you could think of Ephesians 1, um, 13 and 14, when they hear the gospel, they believe in the gospel, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a sense there. Uh, Romans 8 would go to that. The sense of the presence of God comes to be with his people. It's yep. a sealing. It's very personal even. Yep. I come to, into a relationship with Christ. Right. Regeneration. And the Holy Spirit comes to reside within me. And now I have this presence of God in my life. Now yeah. that presence then moves to what we could call a cultivated presence. In other words, there's a sense as I'm spending time with God in my life, 
be filled with the Spirit. Yep, be filled with the Spirit. There's this means of grace even, like as I'm reading and studying the Scriptures and learning to trust and obey more, Mm -hmm. I'm being filled, meaning I'm being empowered and directed by the Spirit Mm -hmm. as I'm in step with Him. Right. There's all that conversation, being in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Different people have, you know, used different frames, but it's a cultivated yeah. presence of God in my personal journey. So there's the the essential presence, omnipresence. There's this cultivated presence that is for the believer who's been sealed with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But then this other presence that we're talking about, this idea of a community saturated with God, has to do with a, a manifest presence. Hmm. Okay, a manifest presence. So a clear one in the Old Testament would be like, you know, when the tabernacle, and it's like, God's here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Moses well, is count, yeah. counting, it's literally physically changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pillar of fire, cloud. Yeah, yeah. that's, I mean, like God shows showed up. up. God showed up. Yeah. And so, you know, again, historically, we get into church history, it seems like God's presence really showed up. And and, and then we, we, we could even go biblically there. We'll talk about that eventually. But, you know, even in the even in the book of Acts, you know, all of a sudden these people come under incredible conviction. Mm. Like, boom. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's... Thousands of them. Yeah. Manifest presence. Like, God's presence yeah, has showed yeah. up here, right? Um, uh, let, me, let me read a statement again. This is Duncan Campbell again, a community saturated with God. Uh he says this, though, in writing of the movement, I would like, first like to state what I mean by revival as witnessed in the Hebrides Isles. I do not mean a time of religious entertainment with crowds gathering to enjoy an evening of bright gospel singing, and I do not mean sensational or spectacular advertising. In a God-sent revival, you do not need money to spend on advertising. I do not mean high-pressure methods to get men to, to some special inquiry room. In revival, uh, in revival, Every service is an inquiry room. The road and hillside become sacred spots to many when the winds of God blow. Revival is going, is a going of God among his people and an awareness of God laying hold of the community. Here we see the difference between successful campaigns and revival. And the former, campaign meaning like an evangelistic event or we're going to try to crank up a revival. Yeah, some no, kind of I mean, has the last 50 years, they were called revivals. Yeah, they were called revivals, but they were like yeah. man-made campaigns yeah, yeah. to try Think to create Think of the Billy this. Graham crusade. Ten, right, or this latest guy we talked about that said he wants to set up a stadium since Asbury wants to set up a stadium. Oh, Nick Hall? Yeah, it, Nick Hall, okay, yeah, yeah. but he's going to set up stadiums and do this sort of thing. And I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying that would be more the campaign. And what Campbell is saying is here we see the difference between a successful, like, man-made campaign mm-hmm. and, a re- and what he calls a revival. In the former, we may see many brought to some knowledge of the truth and the church or the mission experience a time of quickening. But so far as the town or district is concerned, there's no real change visible. The world goes on its way, and the dance and picture show are still crowded. But in revival... The fear of God lays hold upon the entire community, moving men and women who until then had no concern for spiritual things to seek after God. Now, he's saying that in light of what happened in the Hebrides Isles. Like, it was, there are these amazing stories that these people would literally wake up in the night under incredible conviction Hmm. and literally in their pajamas, grab their chairs and run to the church Hmm. because they had to get there. Because God's presence had so made himself known in the community that anywhere these people walked, they sensed this presence of God. It's so interesting. Again, we'll get to that eventually when we talk about history, but it was yeah. like, it seemed so real to these people. And it yeah, was, so yeah. it wasn't all, it, I think the thing to emphasize there, okay, is that it was not a man-made formula that was cranked up. Right. 
there were things going on. There were, there were churches longing for God to show up. There was a need for revival. There were preachers preaching. But all of a sudden, one day, boom, boom, this thing happened. Yeah. And, you know, again, what do you do with those times when you read about that? And there is some discussion of those. I think it might have been the Isle of Lewis, but I think I was listening to some interviews of people who had been there as younger people. And they said literally, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, you could walk through the streets of some of these areas where these happened. And you could look on the countenance of different people walking down the street and say they were there and they were there and they were there. Hmm. Because there was a different look in, in the way they stepped, the way they walked, the way they lived, because they had been in the presence of God. When, when was that one? When was that? Uh, that would be the Isle of Lewis, early 1900s. I forget the dates. We, we'll, we can come back to that yeah, yeah. when we have our notes in front of us. Yeah. But pre, pre-fog machines, pre-electric guitars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't a cranked up... No, light, no, cranked no up laser deal. shows. There wasn't any lasers then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even, Sam, when you asked that question before, this is one of the things I have had as a critique about the critiques, yeah. for what it's worth. I haven't said much. I didn't even say much in our introduction. But people are questioning, well, why Asbury? How could God just be located to this one place and not other places? Sure. And you even brought that up, and I didn't like critique you. But at least historically, again, mm-hmm. and we, we could use the word anecdotally, but mm-hmm. it seems like God does show up in a place. Mm. Like it happened on this island, but not that island. Mm. Or it happened in this city, but not that city. And so I don't know what to make of that. I'm not trying to overstate yeah, yeah. that right now, but there is a sense of like God decided to show up here. Yeah. And I, again, I don't want to dismiss that because you read enough of these accounts, you go, there was something going on there. Yeah. So even Spurgeon, to be revived, R.C. Spurgeon, which a lot of people would appreciate, very, you know, Reformed Baptist, you know. Yep, confessional. Confessional, biblical dude. To be revived is a blessing which can only be enjoyed by those who have some degree of life. Those who have no spiritual life are not and cannot be, in the strictest sense of the term, subject of a re, of a revival. A true revival is to be looked for in the church of God. Mm-hmm. So even then, you know, we read one earlier, it was leaning a little more. There's also a, a outflow of unbelievers coming to faith yeah. in Christ. But he's leaning, again, on the front. And I, that's why I say the front edge of the scene seems to be... Right, you know God's people, and when you study, you, you find guys that will say it will have, yeah, it will spill over. Yes, th- that's the term, spill over the brand, whatever, and it will start to. You'll see non-believers come to faith because, right, usually these these yep. believers that have been revived are now extremely evangelistic. Yep. They're yeah. living really holy. Yeah, and when we get to our kind of lives, working yep. provisional definition for us, it, it's that there is. It starts with God's people, but then there's an overflow. Yep. You could say in evangelism, in mission, yeah. in the civil society around them. Yeah. You see that? Things change even in the civic order around them. Yeah, so um, here's another one. Uh, revival is a church word. This is Douglas Brown. It has to do with God's people. You cannot revive the world. The world is dead in trespass and sin. You cannot revive a corpse. But you can revitalize where there is life. So that idea of redo do again, this would be a definition somebody would use. Um Yeah, this was interesting. This was Evan Roberts. He wrote, uh, my mission is first to the churches. When the churches are aroused to their duty, men of the world will be swept into the kingdom. A whole church on its knees is irresistible. Mm. And remember, I had said in the introduction, it was one of the intrigue, early intrigues I had is I would think of myself more evangelistic or possibly truly biblically an evangelist. Yeah. And so one of the intrigues to me when I began to listen and study and read about revival early on was yeah. like, wow, there always seems to be this tremendous 
uh, work of uh, of evangelism, of of conversion, of people yeah. coming to faith in Christ, yeah. and that's sort of what intrigued me on, caught me in the front end. And it's kind of what he's saying. It's like, and then you realized, like, wow, if God's people get right with God, thoroughly right with God, they get on fire. Some would say, if God, when, when God, you know, does this great work, when when God's people get on fire for Christ, yeah. you, there's these quippy little statements that say, uh, everybody will come and watch. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like it does draw the unbelieving world. Mm. <coughs> someone, some would say it that way. Um, so here's Brian Edwards. He has a tremendous book that we'll use a little bit of an outline as we have our conversation. Uh, uh, Brian Edwards has a book called "The People Saturated with God." It's a great, a great. I tell anybody if you want to read kind of a get one little like I hate to call it a textbook, but I'll call it a textbook on revival. It talks biblically, theologically. It gives, uh, you know, what happens before revival, during revival, after, <laughs> excuse me, after revival. <clears throat> so Brian Edwards, a true Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people, accompanied by an awesome awareness of the presence of God, intensity of prayer and praise, a deep conviction of sin with a passionate longing for holiness, an unusual effectiveness in evangelism, leading to the salvation of many unbelievers. Revival is therefore an evangelical experience. It is an evangelical awakening. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, do you have that book right there, Brian Edwards? Yeah, book? I got it right here. Yeah. Is yeah that published the by is Day that the, One. Who is it? Day One Publishers. Huh. Oh, I think it used, to even, it used to I thought it used to be the Evangelical Press of Wales. I don't know. This must be a new printing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is 2019 published. Oh, yeah. A re, a yeah, yeah, I've gotten older. Yeah. So those are some definitions you can see. Yeah. They, 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 they tend to center on God's people. Yeah. And we'll get to more of and this. And some too. of them are, you know, more conversion. Or at least a conversion is clearly yeah. an outflow of this. Yeah, there's yeah, some, yeah. There's an act of conversion in this. And see, what I want to say on that, too, then, is that would be part of the, you know, as we think that through. I think we could say conversion, but perhaps there's many people that think they're Christians that aren't. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's part of it. Because it's always, it's always, mm -hmm. uh, the focus or the emphasis of a revival is on plural, the people. Right. A group of people. Right. Uh, God's people. Um, it's not just one person having a personal, you know, right. revival of their faith all by themselves. Right. No, right. it's a... It's a corporate experience. It's a corporate... Exactly. And so there's lots of people there that may not know Christ. Exactly. I mean... And so so you could see that maybe that's what people are experiencing. These people are in and around the church. Yep. A lot of these um, that when you see historically in the past, they were communities. I mean, we could hear there's a, there's a lot of sin. Don't, don't get me wrong. These aren't like warm, fuzzy church places. There's a lot of antagonism against the church in some at some times. Yeah. But generally speaking, the church has a prominent place in a community. So there's probably a lot of people in that community that when there's a funeral or a wedding, they're gonna end up hanging out at the church, right? But they're not converted. Right. Is what I'm saying. You know, you go to some of these, you know, these islands and uh, you know, times well in America. No, like, well, yeah, we know church was part of life, church was the center of the community. It didn't mean everybody was converted and some people never even hardly showed up at the church, but very aware of church. Well, I remember, going on. I mean, yeah. and I'm young, but growing up in oh, a, a small town, Minnesota, small rural Minnesota town. Yeah. And, I mean, everybody said they were a Christian. Yeah, you or said were, that. Yeah, were, 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 
a member of some, whether it's the yeah, Lutheran right. Church, the Catholic Church, uh, the Methodist Church, right. the Assemblies of God Church. You know, you're you're a member of something, something, right? right. Even if you don't go regularly, yeah, right. So, so, I mean, obviously that's not necessarily the case anymore, right? But for most of American history and Western right. history, I mean, yeah, since the time of Constantine. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all I'm getting yeah. at. So. I mean, we can. We're going to look at some other ones when we get to a little bit of history. Because there are other places, Africa and other places, where there seems to be these great workings. Yeah. But fundamentally, um, it seems like revival, do again, starts with God's people. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And there's variations of it spilling out, going other places, new conversions, maybe conversions of those in the church. But right. it is a, it is a fundamentally a, a Christian experience for those who claim to know grace. Right. And when we the mean church. when we say God's people, we mean His covenant people. So when we yeah, we'll we'll transition here probably in uh, this uh, next episode because we don't want to make these too long. We want them to be nice, neat packaged episodes. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, the the covenant people of God. So when we look at the Old Testament examples, what we're going to see is a revival or a reviving of the nation of Israel because the nation was God's covenant people. Um, and then when we get into the New Testament or think about revival in, in church history, we're talking about a revival in the church, not necessarily a revival of a nation. Right. Because the nation is yeah you have to be careful with that word right yeah because you'll see people use Second Chronicles seven uh, thirteen fourteen for that right you know, if my people call by my name and there's a sense of nation well yeah he's but it is my people yeah yeah they were God's covenant people right at that time so yeah that's a that's something to keep in mind and to s- distinguish yeah. what we mean by um, God's people starting with God's people what let's just just kind of for clarity, what what again? What is not revival? Like what what's revival not? Just so people can kind of well, well, yeah. I hadn't thought of it in terms of what's not. It's well, not. It's well, not a. Well, it's not well, a crusade. Well, okay, or... can I can I go to a little bit of key pieces I put in the provisional working definition? Sure. It's yeah, a manifest yeah, yeah. Presence of God. Let's on have his two little people. buckets here. Yeah. So so let's go back to provisional. It's God's manifest presence by which He revives, restores God's people. Mm-hmm. I'd say to a first love to a vibrant, spirit-filled Christian life that's, that has an overflow of evangelism, mission, and an effect in the believers' lives and how they live their life in the world, but also an effect on the civil society around them. So it's fundamentally the presence of God coming on his people mm-hmm. and reviving them. Mm-hmm. So then, if we think about what it is not, yeah, I'm actually just going to read a. It's a not bit. a. It's not a campaign. That, that word we used earlier. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not a man-made. We're gonna. We're. We're gonna have a revival this yep, week. Yep. That you know, Saturday night, 7 p.m. Yep. down at the do you that. know the right. county fairgrounds. Right. Now there's going to be a revival. <laughs> right. Right. Now. Now, as I've preached at different churches that had more of that emphasis in my lifetime. Yeah. See, I would reframe it a little bit with them and they liked it. I'd say instead of calling it a revival, why don't you call this meetings as a call to revival? Sure. Let, let, let's have a call to revival. Let's have a call for God's people to be revived. Mm-hmm. That way we're not saying it is a revival because we don't know if it is. God may or may not show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So their churches and their traditions would have you know, a series of services on a given week and they'd have somebody come 
and 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 or a group of people come and they would want it, they would call it a revival and that's kind of in some church traditions and certain denominations. Yeah. And so when I would even be invited to come speak at some of those, I would say, could we could we call this a call to revival? Mm-hmm. That's good. I like. Uh, we didn't we didn't uh, quote him in our definitions, but John H. Armstrong has a really good book on revival. Yeah. Called True Revival. He says this is under his section what revival is not. Okay. He says both biblically and historically, revival is not a series of special meetings. Right. Campaigns. Yeah. Like we're talking about. Yep. Meetings for special prayer, crusades for evangelism, conferences for Bible teaching and exposition, and even designated calls to repentance whether national, corporate, or personal, mm-hmm. or not, are not revival. As long as these types of things are confused with revival, the word revival will continue to be drained of its vital significance. Furthermore, the church will never long for God's manifest presence mm-hmm. as she ought if she persists in believing that she can create revival through special plans and meetings. This means that no plan or program can bring, prompt, or create revival. We need, we need it. What we need is no less than resurrection from the dead in terms of both the power needed and the life granted. If this is true, then revival cannot be engineered by human strategy. We cannot bring together a committee of some kind and plan on beginning a revival at noon on the fifth day of the next month. As preposterous as such thinking is, it is still quite common in our time. Mm -hmm. We must understand that it is not within our ability to create revival. Even more important for clearer understanding is this. We cannot cause God to send revival. So and he keeps going on, but I like that. Yeah. Oh man, I'm. I like that. Yeah, I, I did. I like that definition. Yeah, I yeah. hadn't read that before until you just did that. Yeah, that's 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 where I go to. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And he like, even uses your uh, manifest presence. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I, like I long for that. Yeah, and I think, and we'll get to it. I think you can set up firewood, if you will, the the normal means means of grace. Yeah, and you can have a, even a heavier burden. Lord, we really want you to show up here, yeah. and we are serious about you showing up, and we're going to meet with you and pray and seek for you to do something special here. Yeah, but you can't conjure it up. You can't create it. You yeah. can't make anything happen. Just like I would liken it to conversion. Like I can't convert anybody. Sam, when you and I go do we, Sam and I've done. A lot of different types of things together, but we've done evangelism on campuses together where we have these open air conversations with people and and it's really you know, it's it's a great experience. But we can't convert anybody. It's a supernatural work of God. Conversion is so profound. And so it's the same thing here. So it isn't like you can't um long for it, pursue it, preach doctrine, talk mm-hmm. about it, do what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. But you just can't make something happen at a given point in time. Right. Back to Spurgeon. He says, Christian men should never speak of, quote, getting up a revival. And mm. he goes, where are you going to get it up from? <laughs> yeah. There, there, yeah. Uh, Stephen Olford. Is that how you spell Olford? Oh, Olford. Yeah. Olford. Yeah. yeah he Did has you quote pr- him in, in the definitions? I didn't. But He says, yeah, revival he, is not some emotion or worked up excitement. Right. It is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. There it is, manifest presence. An invasion from heaven. Yep, that's the thing I'm talking like, about. Like, uh-oh, he showed up and- God showed up. Yep, yep. And by the way, we'll get to it, but that's why this conviction of sin we talked about in introduction becomes such a big deal because really, like, we have to hold this with a real, what's the word I'm talking about? Very carefully, gingerly, awesome sense if God actually shows up in a given moment in time and reveals his manifest presence, yeah. we're going to be on our faces. Mm. People are going to be confronted with their sin. Yeah. Like, really. Yeah. And that's why a number of things that are going on, we're wondering, okay, is that really what this is? Right. 
Because you aren't going to be able to get out of it. Right. <laughs> That's the funny thing. It's like... Now, if God actually shows up, I don't mean like a, a room full of singing and music, and I'm not saying that can't happen too. Right. But no, it will be a... a It'll be very raw. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that as we start to get into the history is you don't you don't really see any emphasis on on music at all. Right. Like, no. So I mean, that's what's weird. I mean I, yeah. <laughs> I said we weren't gonna go to Asbury, but there was just there was a lot of music. Yeah. A lot, a lot of music. Um mm-hmm. there's so, nothing wrong with music, but it's just again. Historically speaking and biblically speaking, we yep. don't see revival connected to music. Yeah. And we also know that music is really, really, um, you know, God, God designed it this way. He designed human beings to be have an emotional response to music. Mm-hmm. And we'll get emotional responses to non-Christian music. Yeah. I mean, I'll listen to an 80s rock song and I am like... Uh, ready to rock and roll like yeah. let's go flick, flick your bick as we used to say light your little lighter put it up in the sky Here, let's I mean, go I, if I'm working out and all of a sudden a sweet rock song comes on with an awesome good tarsal you better believe I'm lifting yeah. more weights than I was before that song came on yeah. <laughs> heavier weights yeah. running faster <laughs> it's, it's crazy how that works right so here, let me read one to you this is uh, say, let's just say 1800 uh, you know the turn of that century um, there was there was this work going on in some of the campuses this was at Yale, and this was a description of what, what was going on. Just listen to this. Without any unusual occurrence in Providence, without any alarming event, without any extraordinary preaching, without special instruction, or rather means that might be supposedly peculiarly adapted to interest the mind, here it is. The divine influences seemed to descend like the silent dew of heaven, and in about four weeks there were very few individuals in the college edifice who were not deeply impressed with a sense of the importance of spiritual and eternal things. Mm. There was scarcely a room, perhaps not one, which was not a place of earnest, secret devotion. Mm. And they described that as that there was a sense of presence of God came on Yale. And you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. And it was conviction, and it was devotion, and it was people seeking God. And many went into full-time Christian ministry in a matter, I mean, people that had been impacted by this. Like just in a short period of time, four or five weeks, that student body, a whole bunch of them ended up in Christian ministry and all sorts of things were happening as a result of this. They had come in contact with God. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about the Moravians too with at yeah. Hunt. Oh, sure. Yep. But, uh, yep. well, we're at almost 40 minutes. So let's, let's call it good for this. So the working definition today. Yeah. Working definition. Lay it out again. Yeah. You got it? Lay it out again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's God's manifest presence Yep. that revives and restores God's people to a first love and a vibrant Christian walk with secondarily overflow that's evangelical or evangelism mm-hmm. and missional and an effect on the civil society around them. Mm. Okay. Is that good enough for now? That's good enough for now. We and can work with gonna that. And we're going to move to some biblical examples next time. Yep. Okay. okay. Well, thanks for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast and... Hopefully you can tune in to the next episode as we continue to walk through this series on revival. And we're going to be looking at really, you know, biblical examples now, starting with the Old Testament, maybe even into the New Testament a little bit of where we see revival 
and then we'll move on to church history. But again, if you want to support our ministry, you can visit afci.us. You can donate there. Also, if you haven't yet uh, um, rated our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or, or Spotify or whatever you listen to it, Apparently that helps with discoverability, and we would like to be discovered. (laughs) Uh, You can do that as well. But thanks again for listening, and tune into the next episode. Bye.